and well, sorry about that disgusting slurpy noise. Welcome to episode 68 of Ribbon of Memes, a podcast where we interrogate films previously described by other prospectors of um, gold amongst the uh, dirt as masterpieces. Um, I am Nick, the disingenuous, um, uh, faithless preacher of the episode, and I am joined as ever by Roger, the ruthless capitalist. Manly grunt. <laughs> that is not in any way true of Roger, I do apologise. But we are here to discuss Paul Thomas, our second Paul Thomas Anderson film, mm. the 2007 pretty much universally acclaimed masterpiece, There Will Be Blood. Do we agree? Let's Let's find out. Yeah, so, and he's known, I think, for having actors he likes working with repeatedly but I don't think any of them are here certainly compared with Magnolia he Robert Ellswood is cinematographer again yes and uh, Joanne Suller who was one of the producers on Magnolia is one of the producers here but we don't have any other you know any carryover of cast well I mean Magnolia is a huge ensemble cast and There Will Be Blood is it's not far off a, a, a long soliloquy <laughs> or at least a two maybe three hander um, yeah, I, I would say the focus is definitely on this guy more than anything, yes. but, but by a large margin more than anything else. Uh, so, plain view, he's an oil man of sorts. Yes. Oh, I'm, I, we know that because he tells us uh, after the first largely mute 20 minutes, I'm an oil man. Yeah, I'm, I'm alright. I, I did know this was Addison, so I was expecting something a little bit odd, but yeah. a very strange introduction. I mean, w- Basically, we do not know who any of these people were before we first see them. No, we find... uh, So this is a story loosely, very loosely, based on Upton Sinclair's story, Oil! Mm -hmm. Which is about... Well, it's about what this film is about. It's about oil and early capitalism and kind of... Well, being being fair, most of Upton Sinclair's stories are basically... Society as it is right now is really horrible. (laughs) <laughs> and it used to be great. Is that is that the subject? Or, or at no, least it okay. could potentially be great if we had a lot more socialism, which you know I have a certain amount of sympathy with. But they, they really are pot boilers of the of the day. Okay, okay. Whereas this is um, well, so the the title was changed to "There Will Be Blood," which has much more uh, religious overtones. Would you say? I mean, that's how it, it's done in a very like the font used for the title is a very <laughs> kind of religious uh, kind of. It always makes me think of Civil War era England, um, that kind of uh, that or Salem witches. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, uh, it is. Uh, Anderson said that he he this was an adaptation of the first hundred and fifty pages of the book. Okay, all right, fair <laughs> enough. Well, I, I haven't read it. I don't know if you. Uh, um, it, it's a very very different story. Okay, so and probably yeah, probably not worth reading in this case. So yeah, we have a largely, as we said, a largely mute. 20 minutes or so where well, basically we, we we have a guy prospecting for gold I, think, I gather I think he's, he's a silver miner oh, okay. I, I don't enough. know if that I, I anyway, don't know he, he, that he's up. not particularly looking for oil at first, he's just looking for anything he can haul out of the ground and get rich on um uh, and yeah, and finds finds oil um, uh, as well. And, as breaking and his realizes anger. why industrial safety is a good thing, but sadly, this <laughs> yes. lesson does not stay with him. Uh, well, he makes sure someone else does the grunt work from then on, in, as far as I can tell. Mm. But he, it's it's a interesting. I mean, it's really visceral, down in the dirt, grubbing about grunty, manly, sweaty stuff. Though mm. it's interesting. You, you, 
I I say that, but then there's like it elides from um, him with a broken leg and a lot of um, silver, as far mm-hmm. as I can tell, to him lying on the floor in the without uh, to him lying on the floor in the kind of the. Uh, the the silver counter's office. I don't know, <laughs> well, but um, where he's, he's claiming uh, assay his stake. Office, yeah. Um, without showing us the absolute bloody nightmare he must have had crawling through the desert um, to get back to any sign of civilization, because they really are these kind of desolate moonscapes that he's working in. Um, yeah. And I suppose some films would have made a huge part about that, but there will be blood. Just kind of assumes you know this man is such a kind of force of nature. He's just going to do that, and well, as we learn more about him, yeah, I guess I, we do understand that. And I think that's a, a guide to the rest of the film. And one of my early thoughts was, "Wow, is it all going to be like this?" And the answer is, "Yes, it is." Uh, <laughs> yes, it, it, it is basically it, it's the highlights. Yes, um, there's very little explanation attempted. You're left to fill in. Uh, an awful lot of gaps uh, which again I don't necessarily mind and I didn't feel it was uh, I didn't feel it was so obtuse as to be deliberately misleading, it just doesn't kind of show you mm. the trail in the in the way that a lot of films would I, I, I think one of the standard modes of, of film storytelling is, yeah we'll, we'll show you the connections and how, how you grow from the person you are at point A to the person you are at point B. Frankly, I think he's pretty much the same person at the end of the film. He's just a, a lot more alcoholic. Yeah, I, I agree. There isn't really personal growth, and it's not... I mean, the, the other film where we had a kind of personal descent rather than growth was um, uh, The Pianist, um, but hmm. that was because of external circumstance. We had almost a regression um, from a civilized character, I mean Daniel Plainview is not is not a civilized character. In any moment, he's this savage with civilization kind of encased around him, and so he's not quite a savage. He's just an utter misanthropic cynic. I think that's probably the best way of describing. Yeah, him. I mean, I've one of my problems here is we, I didn't feel we ever really learnt much about his internal processes, his own thoughts or feelings, other than. I want more money, and I will screw over everybody who stands in my way of getting more money. Slash power. I agree. There's no, and again, other films may have shown you his upbringing or his childhood or some story as to why he was such an utter shit. Yeah, I mean that that's a that's a thing that does work in film, or at least can work. You know, here is this horrible person, but he is a horrible person because this and this, and then 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 you start to feel some sympathy for him, or you know, take something like Citizen Kane. Um, Which I adore. I know a lot of people don't, but I, I, I don't think, think it necessarily leaves you liking the guy, but it does at least leave you understanding where he's coming from. Would you say that's fair? I, I absolutely, and it, it makes you feel sorrow for where he ends up because of all the potential he's wasted. And this is a similar story, except you don't really feel any sorrow for well, that. That's the thing. There's no real change. He he succeeds. He arguably can't really cope with the success so becomes an alcoholic but let's face it a lot of people became alcoholics mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't know why he's like that we don't know yeah, it, it, does he ever have a point of choice where he could decide not to be like that if he does we never see it uh, I think the closest we get uh, that the, there's a bit of talk with Henry that's the closest we get to any kind of indication of Daniel's soul really and that well it's interesting I did find that interesting so we um so Daniel, it becomes clear that he's basically a ruthless capitalist, um, 
one of the earlier <laughs> ruthless capitalists, but mm. ruthless with a really capital R. He gives zero shits about anyone or anything. Um, and I, I part of me respects it not even bothering to try and explain that. It's it. The attitude of the film mm. seems to be some people are just bastards, and it, it's deep into humanity. And I I I think that it, it's not narratively satisfying. But I think perhaps there is a ring of truth to it, or maybe I'm a ruthless cynic too. Well, um, yeah, but another thing, I mean, maybe in 2007 there were still people who needed to be told that capitalism was not perfect. In 2008, I think many of them noticed. <laughs> yes, and certainly um, uh, in 2022, um, we, we, we're very much getting the idea and would like, like it to stop now, please. Um, though, <laughs> well, maybe. Uh, let's not go into real life. Um, uh it was interesting, I find, that he is this uh, utter devoid of, of, of humanity creature, but he very, very quickly warms to um, Henry, to the point where he starts opening his soul to him. I don't know if that's the film suggesting he's actually lonely, but he, he kind of... Uh, and, and that's why he takes such up. So it turns out Henry... Um, if you haven't seen the film, then you probably should watch the film before you listen to this podcast. Yeah, but Henry great big uh, long lost brother who turns up um, out of the blue when um, Daniel is already quite successful. He's got two or three wells or more at that point and is, is uh, currently exploiting the, the shit out of a, a farm in, I think it's Northern California, though I may have missed And uh, he very quickly warms to him and opens, him, opens up to him and, and explains basically his philosophy, which was that. His philosophy pretty much summed up as I hate people. I've never met anyone that I liked, <laughs> and I hate everyone I've ever met. Um, but he does show some warmth towards Henry, and I think that's why he feels sort of, you know. So, it, long story short, Henry turns out not to be Henry. It turns out to be doing the the Summersby thing of he met a man who was Henry who died of TB and basically stole his identity to get yeah. better, um, and. Daniel Upton kills him when he finds this but he is devastated you know he's sitting there sobbing for some time and it feels like Henry does get through to him and the idea that he's lost this partner in uh, crime or capitalism it does seem to devastate him um, and maybe drives him more to drink so there is some kind of soul to him I suppose or something and yeah I think he's in the early days he's talking to the kid and trying to raise him mm. as you know do do things the way I do them because it's working for me or whatever but yes. when the kid shows signs of independence I mean alright there, there is the arson attempt uh, I think we can <laughs> call that a sign of independence um, now what uh, can we do that so this is his adopted son who there's a one of his workers is killed in an industrial accident and, uh, and nobody else is around to say hang on a minute did, did, you didn't have a kid when you went out there <laughs> exactly and, and he, he would say probably wouldn't say it to him anyway um so he adopts this kid, I think, largely for cynical reasons, but does seem to. In, initially, yeah. I think I think it's well. There's this kid. I might as well get some use out of him, so so he yes. can present himself as a family man and strongly imply that his wife has died and so on. Yes, exactly. But then he seems to, after a fashion, care for the kid, even though when he's outlived his usefulness, he, he quickly shunts him off to a boy. Which plenty of people who aren't evil will. Particularly once he's deafened in yet another accident. Yet another industrial accident. Um, But then we have, after Henry turns on the scene, uh, or the fake Henry, uh, H.W. is 
the kid is pretty quickly cast aside. So was the so the reason I wanted to dwell on that was again this is a film that doesn't really connect the dots for you. But mm. was that jealousy on the kid's part, or was that I think so? Reading, right, okay. So he the the kid H W genuinely seems to love Daniel. Um, and it's sort of reciprocate. Okay, that's fine. Sorry, carry on then. Well, in, insofar see. as Daniel can. No, I was just thinking that when, when the kid comes back quite a bit later, mm. uh, I mean, yes, Daniel is, is, is definitely an alcoholic at this point, um, but he he's coming to Daniel saying, you know, I want to go off and do the thing independently so that I can, yeah, in, in effect, so that I know I can stand on my own feet. Yes. And that, that is the thing that is completely unacceptable to Daniel. Yes, you, know, I mean, you are my accessory, damn it! Yeah, he absolutely destroys him and tells him he's a, a, a bastard from a basket, uh, and, and tells him he's going to become a competitor, and, and absolutely does not have his blessing. But mm. again, I felt it was coming from a position of hurt feelings rather than I'm not going to make any money anymore out of this kid. It was more like you've betrayed me. That's how it felt mm. to me. So there is some. Um, but but he's showing independence. That's that's the thing that is not acceptable. I think. Which will yes, as you say, whenever he shows any independence, he's he's cast aside. Um, uh, I, I I mean we've we've touched most of the story to be honest, haven't we? I mean that that covers pretty much most of the things that well, well no, we it, haven't we it, haven't except touched for the whole the, the Sunday family. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So the, the Eli and Paul. And again, because it's a film that does not connect the dots, and I'm a bear of little brain, it's quite confusing because Paul Dano is the character who plays both Paul and Eli, presumably because they're identical twins, but it's never uh, alluded to, to the point where you wonder, is Paul, are they the same person a little bit? It's not entirely clear until towards the end of the film, I think, when it is quite clear. That yeah, they, they were originally going to be um, two separate actors. Yes, uh, but basically they they were so impressed with um, Anderson was so impressed with Paul Dano he he was originally just going to be Paul the guy who comes and tips him off. Yes, um, but he was so impressed with him in that 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 he fired uh, I think it was Kel O'Neill. Yes, uh, and said right now I, I want Paul Dano for this part as well. And I think they'd already started shooting um, yeah. with uh, Kel O'Neill, and so they had to reshoot some scenes. Um, there were some rumours that he'd been intimidated by Day Lewis being method on the set, but everybody involved said no, this is not the way it happened. So, uh, including um, Caloni, yes, yes, exactly. Uh, uh, I mean, to some extent, it doesn't matter, but it, for whatever you know, it's a director's prerogative. If it's not working out with one actor, you uh, you replace them with another. Remembering um, Back to the Future. Remembering Back to the Future. Poor. Um, oh, who was it? Uh, it was uh, oh, it yeah that guy. But I, I can see <laughs> the guy who was in Pulp Fiction. Um, uh, anyway, uh, so this is where we get a sort of, and I don't know if this is where the title from comes from. So this plot is the the kind of I don't know is it religion clashing with business or is it just um, uh, cynicism and capitalism or so? But what we have is that Daniel comes and basically buys the. The, uh, is it the Sunday family? Did you say? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, buys the uh, ranch and all their land, but he extracts uh, Eli extracts Cla- the claiming that... obviously that he doesn't want it for oil. He wants it for you know shooting quail and, uh, yeah, and, and every... letting his kid recover from from whatever is supposedly wrong with him. So yeah, yeah, let's screw people out of the money. Obviously, mm-hmm. 
but Eli extract Eli, who knows very well there's oil there, extracts a promise from Daniel to fund his church um, of the third revelation, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the revelations, anyway. Um, but then um, Daniel basically fucks him over <laughs> completely um, beats him down literally um, smack, when he asks for the money um, physically abuses him um, until the point where um, Daniel needs to run a, uh, a an oil uh, pipe over land that he doesn't own and so he has to uh, in in that situation, it's reversed, and then Paul Dano's character Eli is is able to humiliate Daniel uh, and get him to admit that he abandoned. I abandoned my boy. I abandoned my boy um, in front of the the congregation. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't seem to bother Daniel in the same. He goes through his humiliation, and then at the end of it, just like well, there's a pipeline. So he's he's quite happy to go yeah. through that, um, mm-hmm. and and really doesn't care about what other people think of him. Except he clearly does care about the thing because. Right at the end, yes. Uh, Eli has lost all his money through being a being a rubbish radio preacher. It, it was really hard to lose money being a radio preacher, but apparently he managed it. But Eli uh, managed it, um, and s- says, I, "I will finally sell you the rights to that one ranch." Um, since, since the guy who owned it was was part of the church, has now died. And yeah. Daniel says, "Yeah, all right, but you, but you you have to denounce your faith in front of me here, right here, right now." Yes, and um, having got that, says, "Oh well, I don't need it anyway because uh, oh, I've I've sucked all the oil out from all the yeah. land around it, so you know, don't care." Energy, I um, with some. <laughs> um, uh, with, it's an interesting scene which I'd like to spend a bit more time on later, perhaps. But that whole because um, uh, we haven't talked about the performance, perhaps we performance. I say performance because that's really what the film yeah, is about. Well, I mean, I, I I think that's pretty much the plot summary, and it's it, it's fair to talk about that first. It's not a particularly compelling plot, I think. Not not especially. It's not entirely. Uh, uh, it's not quite clear whether um, because the other interesting thing about Daniel is you assume he's this very hard nosed capitalist businessman but actually even other businessmen and other capitalists are a bit horrified and he doesn't get on with them very well and he's he's got a very aggressive misanthropic manner with pretty much everyone he meets so yeah uh, I, mean, I, I think part of the relationship with Henry and with HW is is somewhere inside him he's realised I don't actually have any friends yes and, yes, it would, that, and that would be nice <laughs> Yeah, well, that so we have. I, that's a plot summary, as you say, and then, uh, well, it ends with this. I'd like to talk about the closing scene to some extent, um, but we have this uh, pretty unlikable character who the camera is basically focused on. Ninety, he's in almost every scene of the mm-hmm. film. Um, maybe the odd flashback where he isn't. Um, not almost. I mean, he absolutely dominates the film. Daniel Plainview and Daniel Day Lewis. And the other film um, that that is similar to is our favourite, uh, Raging Bull. We have this deeply unlikable character who, mm. yeah. pretty much beyond redemption, and learns nothing <laughs> um, mm. by the end of the film. Um, and we, re- I found Raging Bull a very hard watch. I just didn't like. We, uh, you very rightly described it as toxic masculinity. The movie. Um, here he's I mean Daniel I think he's a true misanthrope and that it's not particularly women he hates in fact I don't that, know that, if there are barely get, women in this there are barely women in it. I, I don't know if you get the idea that he's impotent or just has no interest in sex but it's certainly 
he just genuinely hates everyone. He's not particularly directed <laughs> towards women. Um, I will say I found this much more... I mean, I have my problems with the film, uh, a number of them, many of them, in fact, but I found this much more compelling to watch. Um, uh, much e- than Raging... Uh, I've never seen Rocky, we should do, than Raging Bull. I just... Um, I just, in a way, perhaps, because I know people and I know of people like, um, I was about to say Rocky Balboa, I'm terribly sorry, (laughs) Um, like Jake LaMotta from Raging Bull. Uh, Daniel Plainview, I don't know, maybe we'll come on to this, it feels a bit um, unrealistic and mythical in his level of hatery to the point where it's quite interesting to watch. Um, or well, that's how I felt about it. Yeah, I, I, I was comparing it mentally with Magnolia, rather than Fair with, rather yes, than with Raging yeah. Bull. And compared with Magnolia, to me, this falls short because that had lots of humans and human interactions and human groups. Yes, and okay. that that carried me over weaknesses in the story. Whereas this was, I mean, deliberately, um, very much this one guy and yes. his frankly non-social interactions with yes. everybody he meets yes. I mean he he can socialise when he has to he can do the salesman thing but there Just there is now. there is no genuine feeling in there mm. I agree compared to Magnolia it was a harder watch um, I, yeah it's interesting we compared it to two quite different films and I think Magnolia is a good um, point of contact um uh, but yeah, it felt like a very different type of story, as you say. And if you didn't respond well to Daniel Day Lewis's performance, then you're shit out of luck because there's, there's, frankly, there's not a lot more going on here than this. Uh, I, I don't, I, I, it's a kind of performance that makes you want to say astonishing and bravura. And I, I don't know, the more I think about it, the less sure I am <laughs> about <laughs> that. I mean, it is, compelling uh, i mean he inhabits this monster he's got this incredible physicality to him I, I don't just mean he limps about but the way he handles hw you know this really kind of cloying he keeps stroking his hair and, mm. and the way he moves around and it's really it's borderline uh, abusive and disturbing and i there he really inhabits this character. And I, well, I one that... certainly feels he would not have any hesitation in beating the child if the child didn't come out with the lines on cue. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yes, absolutely, yeah. He's, um, uh, y- you you get a lot about what the character is from Daniel Daly. I mean, it's, um, it's, pff, I'm hesitating here because I, I feel like there is an element of it which just feels incredibly hammy to me, <laughs> incredibly scenery chewing and yeah. very kind of like the. Well, yeah, I, I, I've seen seen. I have seen scenery chewing performances that are great fun, where, where yes. the actor involved is clearly having a good time. Um, yes. The the otherwise really very terrible future world, which is clearly somebody's vanity project. It writes, yes. Uh, does. Is that a sequel to Westworld? No, it, it's okay. it's. Uh, We've talked about this before, bizarrely, but yes, it's a different thing. Yeah, th- this is um, oh a, a, a starring role for Jeff Wahlberg. Yeah, he's related to the Wahlbergs you may have heard of. But oh, it, yeah, it, it's, it's got a short a, a short section by Mila Jovovich as a post post apocalyptic warlord. Right. 
and she is having um, what Liz Kingsley described as a Maria Frankenstein sandwich, ham sliced <laughs> thick with plenty of relish, and she's clearly enjoying this <laughs> terrible overacting she's doing. Yeah, and she is the most watchable thing in the entire film. So now. Okay, uh, well, it's interesting, really. Is that happening here with Daniel Day Lewis? Because I no, me, I, 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 I didn't get a sense that he's having fun with it. Okay, all right. Yeah. <laughs> now I... that that can be misleading. I mean, some like it hot. It looks as if they're all having a great time, but they really oh, God, weren't. Yeah, but uh, but that, that, that shows that absolute nightmare to everybody. But that shows the competence of the actors. I'm not getting that here. I don't think I'm supposed to be getting that here. It would feel weird if he was enjoying being Daniel Plainview. I think that. Well, I, I think some of the point is that Daniel doesn't enjoy being Daniel Plainview. <laughs> That's a very good point. I, I mean, just... he, he's doing this thing for reasons we never learn, but he doesn't seem to get any pleasure out of it. No, he doesn't, and that's again. I think that's a big point, part of the point of the film. He just does it because it's a thing to do, and he, he derives no pleasure from it. In fact, he hates it, and he hates everyone and everything. It is not okay. However, we or I, and I'm still undecided, feel about the performance. It's not a subtle performance. Um, mm. Like we talked about with a history of violence, where you see in Viggo Mortensen's face, you know, a lot of things that you can read about. Um, I'm going to have to do this again. I don't want to do this. Um, there's yeah. a lot to get yeah. from subtle facial movements. There is zero subtle about Daniel Plainview. He is loud. He's got this incredibly memorable voice that's apparently modelled on John Huston, um, uh, which I'm not... I don't know. I've heard John Huston. It doesn't sound quite like that to me, but they probably spent a lot of time <laughs> thinking about it. I gather they watched Treasures of the Sierra Madre every night, or Paul Thomas Anderson did, um, which uh, there are a lot worse ways to spend your evening because that's a fucking brilliant film. Um, mm. But <laughs> I, it feels like a, a... I don't want to say strat. I mean, it, it, I, he really does feel like he's chewing up the... He's, this, he's a larger-than-life character, but larger-than-life characters are often... Um, yeah, as you say, they look like they're having fun. But Daniel Plainview's just this force of hate I think and it, it's yeah. fascinating to watch and compelling but I I don't know it, it's sort of a given that this is one of the greatest acting performances of all time and I don't I don't know I'm still undecided maybe it is but it feels very it, it, it is a quite tough performance to achieve I suspect oh yeah yeah uh, yeah, it, it takes skill, it takes competence is the result the result you want I mean I, I can carefully mix up you know, shaving cream and broken glass to the exact <laughs> proportions but that does not mean I've made a cake <laughs> yes, fair enough um, that's a really good way of looking at it I think in a way it does work because I found him fascinating to watch but I was I was aware because it's such an acting performance that I, I don't mean acting in the John Gielgud or maybe I do it's it's so obviously acted very very well acted that it didn't feel honestly at all realistic to me does that make sense I don't I didn't believe this was a a person really I felt this was a performance um which, which is odd because Dave Lewis is, is said to be very keen on uh, method acting yeah. So, yeah. but I've seen. But I, I agree. Mean, I, I didn't feel he was inhabiting the role so much as playing the role. Yeah, that, it, I mean, it was astonishingly good acting, but it felt like acting, and in a way, I feel like the absolute best acting is one where you don't 
feel like it is I, d- I don't know if mm. that's right but but that said if it was a subtle performance and all in quietness and and great it wouldn't have been daniel plainview and as he is here yeah it's it's not I a subtle story maybe i would have found the film much more boring and harder to mm. watch and maybe that's what um de niro does with jake lamotta you know he, he's he, he feels like a much more real character in a way but i hated watching it so yeah. i don't know quite what my point is there other than it feels very I don't know. Maybe well, it is da- a great acting performance. David Thompson, who's one of the inspirations for this podcast, uh, described yes. it as haunting, and uh, okay. really not for me. Well, this this is the other. I, thing I, I could was. admire how it's done. Um, I didn't particularly enjoy it, but I, I, it didn't stay with me. Um, well, so this is. Uh... This is a film that a lot of people have said, this is like a bludgeon, you know, it'll smack you around the face and it's hard to want and you'll just, you'll be gobsmacked and, and you'll, and I, sorry, that, I mean, I'm putting words into people's mouths there, but a lot of people seem to suggest this is hard, it's it's difficult watching. And I didn't, honestly, I didn't find it difficult watching and maybe that's because mm. I didn't really believe it. I think Anderson has a reputation for films that are difficult that you need to work at to understand. Uh, we yes. can certainly say that of Magnolia. And I think that's something that people, uh, at least part of the audience, is actively looking for. Yes. Um, um, but- so they may have assumed it. I, I, I agree. I didn't get that here. I didn't think it was particularly confusing, apart from the Paul Dano dual role. Um, yes, that, that I did find that a bit confusing. And, uh, yeah, I agree. As far as the haunting goes, uh, I am surprised a little surprised to find it has stayed with me um, and what has stayed with me I don't know if that counts as haunting because it hasn't disturbed me so much as I keep thinking about that voice going I drink your milkshake <laughs> or um, drain you Sheila you boy that those things have kind of stuck with me and the image of the burning oil rig was visually mm, yeah. stunning um, so it has stayed with me and I would not be averse to watching it again relatively soon to see if I got any more out of it so I think there's something to that but I'm not uh, I'm not sure how much I got out of it this time I, I would like to praise the cinematography to be fair yes, um, yeah. as I said this is uh, Robert Ellswit again and yeah alright you, you're working in Texas you've got some lovely scenery to work with but he he makes a lot of it as well he does and it's not all about this is beautiful. I, I think he does a good counter in a way. And it will kill you. Daniel's, and it will kill you. It's a bit like a, a mirror of Daniel's soul. I think it was, it was quite well done. Um, uh, particularly the opening scenes, that kind of bleakness of the the, the solo minor, um, and the um, the the kind of Citizen Kane like Xanadu kind of. We never, you never get like an establishing shot of this giant mansion that he's in, or I don't remember it if there was one. I don't think you, so, no. You just see these huge, largely empty halls that he's stumbling about drunkenly in for the most part. I found that very interesting. It really, like, it finishes in this, um, this bowling alley that he's clearly had installed. Um, hmm. I mean, presumably he's built it himself. Can't imagine him having some friends around for some beers and going bowling. So, but but it's a thing you have when you're rich. So he has it. Yeah. So it brings him no pleasure except when he beats a preacher to death with one of the <laughs> with one of the bowling skittles. Um, now there are there are a lot of people. That, speaking of which, so that's how the final scene ends. Um, where here the scenery chewing goes up to 11 for me we have this incredible final confrontation now again 
in the reviews I've read, this is where a lot of people say this is where the film jumps the shark, where you're like, um, oh, well, this has gone from being a masterpiece to just a good film. I, well, I Eli up to this point has been shown as basically genuine in his faith. Yes, yes. And the fact that he is so ready to admit to this guy, who is his enemy, that, yeah, yeah, I'll... I'll, I'll uh, Perjure myself to you. I, I'll, I'll admit I've done bad things. All the rest of it makes him feel like a character. Yeah, we, we should have had that built up a bit. Yeah, um, I, I agree. And in some ways, so I, I gather that uh, Eli is is kind of supposed to be Daniel's nemesis, or they're supposed to have this friction between. It just that doesn't really. Daniel is such, or Daniel Day-Lewis, or whichever Daniel you want to call it, he's such an overpowering, over-the-top character. I don't know if it's Paul Dano can't get an act in Edgeways, or if it's just not very well built up, but he, he never feels like a, a suitable foil to, to Daniel. Well, to also, me. Eli doesn't really achieve very much. I mean, no. he, he, he gets that, that humiliation at the baptism. Yeah. But apart from that... He, he doesn't get the money he was promised. He doesn't get to bless the well, you know. <laughs> and Daniel Plainfield doesn't seem, as you say, it, it's clear that he has harboured resentment over it. He doesn't seem that bothered at the time. He's just like, well, um, I've got my, my oil pipeline now. This is the I, stuff I, I've got to say to do the thing. Yes. Whereas it's clearly a betrayal of himself for Eli. I just, I don't know if it's just that Paul Dano's acting is not up to Daniel Day-Lewis's or if the character... Well, it's a different style. It's a much quieter style. I mean, you, you could see that sort of quiet intensity working very well if it were yes. not up against the other. Exactly. I, I think maybe they're not well matched. If that is indeed the intention of the film, that it's supposed to be about these two nemeses... Nemeses? Nemeses. Nemeses. But I don't feel it is. that The story is all about Daniel. We never get any uh, of Eli on his own. Uh, we do. We, actually, that is the one scene that I can think of that Daniel isn't in when Eli is confronting his own dad and beating mm. him and maybe we're supposed to draw some comparisons there but I if that was one of the purposes of the film I don't think that worked terribly well and as you say it's a little bit out of the blue that he he comes kind of begging to uh, Daniel and then very quick to give up his renounce his faith at least in word only even if he's not believing it and then is is in fairly short order um chewed out and then beaten to death by by Daniel and the mm. acting there is I mean the it's I don't know if it's bizarre I mean it a lot of people say as I say that it, it's where the film junks the shark to me it it, it doesn't I, I think it's of a piece with the rest of it to yeah, be fair that's I mean, exactly what I would say I, I I think it's an inconsistency in Eli's character perhaps but but as far as yeah. Daniel is concerned it's absolutely part of what he would do anyway I feel so. I didn't feel like it was not the character we'd seen the whole time. And the fact that he sort of ends up uh, killing Eli, I, again, I think it's just this hatred that's bubbled up inside him and he's drunk enough and rich enough and thinks he's powerful enough not to care anymore. Um, and quite possibly he's right. And quite possibly. I mean, I don't think he'll be going to prison. Probably. Maybe he will with such a, 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 a egregious... Um, beating to death but well I, I, guess, I guess he doesn't have a lot of rich friends at this point so no that's the thing um but that is i mean that's the whole story uh we've talked about paul danis's performance and, and daniel day lewis's and there's, there's not i suppose 
the next thing are there any themes to draw out of this is it trying to touch on to, I mean it feels like it is or it feels like I'm always a bit wary of this sort of thing where a film is a bit obscure about it because then whenever it's getting you to draw your own conclusions you can end up making the film look much cleverer than it actually is um, mm. and I, I I think maybe it has things to say about capitalism but if it has they're not terribly original things is it actually there or are we reading it into it because we are, we are primed to expect that kind of thing? Yeah. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah, and maybe it has things to say about the clash between religion and corporate America. Maybe. Maybe religion has ended up but not much. on the floor of corporate America's bowling alley. But And, and sure. no, real, no real mention of religion other than this one particular church, so... Yeah, and I, I did, it doesn't really... Uh, look into the spirituality of Eli at all. We don't really understand where Eli's faith comes from, or why he's so ready to give it up at the end. Uh, I mean, mm. clearly, sort of a uh, ultimately, he's kind of a failed preacher, whereas Daniel's a, a pretty accomplished misanthrope. <laughs> I don't know what to read about that either. I, I I find it an interesting film, but I'm not. Uh, I'm not sure quite what it's trying to say to me, and maybe it will take... I mean, Mark Commode says you have to watch it like three or four times, and there's not many films I'm prepared to give that time to, to be honest. <laughs> I, I, I feel that if the film is made that badly, does it really deserve to be watched three or four times? <laughs> yes, yeah, and uh, or that, I, that feels the, like an argument... The, the point of communication is to communicate. Yes, um, otherwise we're in Mulholland Drive territory, um, and I... Yeah. Uh, and I don't, I, I don't think this film feels like that at all. I mean, it's got a straightforward plot that you can follow. It feels like maybe there's something going on under the surface, uh, which you can draw your own conclusions about. But if you can do that, then I don't know. I mean, we're, we're fussy, aren't we? Because we don't like polemics <laughs> for the most part <laughs> when they're too obvious. If they're not obvious, then we kind of complain that either they're not there at all, mm. or they should tell us them better. So perhaps we're being a bit inconsistent there, but. Um, if there's a single message to it I'm not sure what it is other than some people are awful and capitalism's bad but it doesn't really dwell on that particularly I don't think we met I don't think we meet any non-awful people really so not really maybe maybe HW yeah he seems decent (laughs) enough probably Um, but I, I found it a very memorable role you know and some of the insults about him, you know, what he's quite ready to say to his own son, you flap your hands there, and I, uh, I found him very compelling to watch but I think, yeah as I, at the risk of circling around to what I've said already I, I think that's because I never really believed him as a character so I found it fun entertainment I didn't find it a hard watch other than it's two and a bit hours long hmm. and I don't, I'd rather films weren't two hour and a bit hours two and a bit hours <laughs> long generally, but I didn't find it particularly long to watch either I, I didn't it didn't move me emotionally in any way I think mm, it's fair to say I, I was expecting it to that's yes. the thing and yes. I, I, I try not to read much about a film before I watch it but I was expecting frankly a bit more than I got yeah I think I think ultimately it felt a bit oh I don't want to say it because I'm probably wrong but it felt a bit shallow or less than the sum of its parts and maybe if I watched it another four times I would understand what Daniel represents to uh, to America and to but um, right now I think he's a fascinating, great film villain that I very much enjoyed watching, and I will certainly 
often think um, I drink your milkshake um, at random <laughs> moments in my life so that was something that came out of it but um, otherwise I don't know I I don't know have have you more to say or other things well, to raise I about was, there will be blood I, I noticed while I was looking things up afterwards that, that I've, I've seen Daniel Day-Lewis actually in two other things right um, yes the, my left foot is you know, 18 years before this um, yes. story of what was his name, Christy Brown Yes. Uh, born with cerebral palsy in a huge family in Ireland Yes. Um, which given when, I re- given when I saw it I probably wouldn't have enjoyed it even if it had been the best thing in the world so maybe it was <laughs> uh, but I also yeah. noticed that I had actually seen him another thing, he has a really tiny part in Gandhi oh really, e- I've never actually seen Gandhi uh, I have seen him in two other things. I've seen him in uh, Last of the Mohicans, mm-hmm. uh, where he shouts a lot, and um, Gangs of New York, where he plays... Is it Buffalo Bill? I think he plays a character. Not the Buffalo Bill. Bill the Butcher. Bill, Bill the Butcher, that's it. He's not a thousand miles away from Daniel Plainview, I'm going to say. Uh, it might be worth <laughs> watching a few, but he, he's, got, he's got a very impressive moustache. Um, better, <laughs> better than his moustache if there's such a thing as possible um, than in There Will Be Blood but that has made me think is he just very good at hogging the screen and and shouting I mean it's very watchable I'm I it's led me to question what I even mean by acting what do I mean what do I if it's an acting performance that is phenomenal and he sinks into a role but I don't want to watch it then is that a success I'm not sure it is whereas Daniel Playview feels hammier than a slice of gammon to me but I loved it so I loved watching <laughs> it um, so I don't know I don't know what I mean by that but I I slightly rail against he's the finest actor ever because he, he's quite certainly silly. not on the basis of my limited exposure to him I I feel like we've seen finer acting performances we both uh, particularly commented on Viggo Mortensen um, hmm. but there have been many others that we've we've I, you know, I'd go back to um, uh, Bruce Ellis's story um, with uh, Miranda Richardson, Dance with the Stranger. She was phenomenal mm. in that. Again, I didn't enjoy the film desperately, but I thought she was amazing in that. Um, yeah, well, there we are. I, I'm slightly adrift with There Will Be Blood. I liked it. I probably will watch it again, but I don't. I don't know that it is the masterpiece everyone else says it is. That's my take on it. For me, certainly not. I mean, no. I, I kept reassuring myself that I enjoyed Magnolia. I will watch more uh, Paul Thomas Anderson films, but this, yes. this didn't didn't do for me what that film did in terms of causing me to understand why this style of film works as well as the sort of thing I usually watch. So, yeah. Okay. That's well. That's the point of this podcast, in some ways, to see what we're missing from other classic films because we come from a much more genre background. Um, so, yeah, I, mo- moving on to 2007 in film, perhaps. Yes, let's move on to there. As because the, the, this got two Oscars. Uh, right. one, one for uh, Day-Lewis as, as Best Actor. Uh, uh, yeah, and the, the, and the other, I think, was Cinematography, which I, I'm not going to argue. No, I, I think I agree with both of those, probably. Um, Day-Lewis was up against, let's see, uh, George Clooney and Michael Clayton. Legal uh, thriller. Okay. Not seen that. Uh, Johnny Depp as Sweeney Todd. I have seen that. I, it's better than that. Yes, definitely. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones in In the Valley of Elah. Uh, I've heard of it. 
and Viggo Mortensen in the Eastern Promises, which interestingly reunites him with Cronenberg, but he's, it's basically a gangster film. Okay. Uh, oh, that'll be interesting seeing that. Though uh, uh, they, uh, they will be bloods. Um, History of Violence wasn't very Cronenberg either. Anyway, we mm. talked about that. Let's not go back. <laughs> um, okay. So, uh, No Country for Old Men. Uh, oh, I will tell you. Know I like my Coens, but that is a <laughs> king brilliant film. I so that that got best picture, best director, supporting actor, and adapted screenplay. Which is a pretty it good is show. It's one of those films that finishes, and you're like, "Oh, wait, is it what? Is it finished? What?" But um, <laughs> if you want to see a compelling acting performance, um, Javier Bardem as um, I've forgotten his name, but that is Anton Chigurh. Anton Chigurh is just incredible. And, and yeah, he, that that was the supporting actor win. Oh, right, quite right too, because that is bloody brilliant. Um, so let's see, La Vie en Rose got to the PF biopic. Okay. Uh, Diablo Cody got best original screenplay for Juno. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. And I think we should perhaps point out that this is actually David Thompson's last year. Uh, yes, because the book was published in two thousand and eight. I wonder if there was an updated one, uh, but I haven't seen one. I don't believe so. Um, he mentions Eastern Promises as well, and No Country for Old Men, uh, and The Diving Bell and the Butterfly. Oh yeah, I've read the book. It's a quick read. I guess I suppose if you're going <laughs> to blink your way to writing a film, writing a book, then you're going to be pretty brief about it. Uh, it's a very good book. Sorry, I didn't mean to be glib about it. Um, he, in, I, in, in general, David, there, there does seem to be a fairly positive feeling about quite a lot of the films this year were suddenly films for grown-ups. I would agree. Mostly, I, mostly got small releases, but there was there was good stuff in there. Well, I, I very much. I, I'm glad we've watched this one. Um, I think No Country for Old Men is better for my money. But <laughs> well, I may well catch but up with that at some point. So. And we've already done two of those. Uh, three, actually, because we did Blood Simple right at the start and mm. Big Lebowski. And, but yeah, yeah, true. yeah I'll, I'll stop inflicting. I, I'd forgotten Big Lebowski because I really enjoyed the other two, but hey, so it goes. <laughs> I think you'd like No Country for Old Men, but um, let's not. At the box office... Uh, we have actually several non-sequel films, or at least Woo-hoo! potential non-sequel last, films. I think it might have been last two thousand and six that really finished me off. That was depressing. Uh, number ten, we've got uh, three hundred. The uh... oh fucking hell! <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I I feel betrayed by it because I I read The Dark Knight Returns as a young man and thought it was amazing, and it's only later in life that I've realised what a right-wing power fantasy it is. And that has become more clear. I, I still think it's very good. But Frank Miller basically has then done nothing but write right-wing power fantasies. Um, I, I think the the best way to enjoy Three Hundred, perhaps, is is to lean heavily on the framing story. This is the propaganda that is being told <laughs> okay. to the rest of the army, so that they will also charge forward and fight and die. Okay, yeah, <laughs> fair point. Um, Three Hundred plus all the other guys that were there that we don't mention. Um, anyway, <laughs> let's, uh, let's not worry about that. Number nine, National Treasure Book of Secrets, the second of those. Uh, number eight, The Simpsons movie. Did anybody see that? Well, I guess they did because it's number eight at the box office, but it certainly left me. The Simpsons. Um, I, I think so. I used to watch Simpsons as a student. I liked it well enough, but um, bloody hell. Uh, number seven, I Am Legend. Oh uh, yes, other books better than any. What, of one of books, several but... versions. Some of them even under that title. Uh, the Omega Man's better. Mm. I, uh, I, number six, Ratatouille. 
Oh, that's a good film. I like that. It's got um uh oh, what's his name? Uh, playing the the rat um, and anything with him in is automatically better. Passon Oswald. Passon Oswald is the name I'm trying to think of. Uh, number five, Transformers. Um, it's the Michael Bay with Steven Spielberg executive producing. And, yeah. Yep. I, let's, let's move on. Had I been a fan of the toys when I was a kid, I might feel positively about this, and I was the right sort of age to be, but they just passed me by. Yeah, I don't know if it just wasn't a thing in Britain. I think it was, though, but it certainly passed me by as well. I know uh, what Decepticon is, that's for my shame, but still. Yeah, subtle names. Uh, <laughs> so I've got uh, number four, Shrek 3. Number three, Spider-Man 3. Uh, number two, Harry Potter 5, I think, The Order of the Phoenix. Okay. And number one, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean 3, at World's End. Well, I have nothing to say about that other than a brief lament at the very recent passing of Robbie Contr- Coltrane, mm. who uh, was always very watchable. Uh, it's a shame that he's best known for um, Hagrid, because he was much more than that. But there we go. Mm. Well, that, that, we've had worse years, haven't we? Yeah. That? The top five would have depressed me if we hadn't had the <laughs> Yeah, and I, I think there, there's quite a lot. We, we may well come back to in future years. There are quite a lot of interesting films. Yes, yeah. A, outside the uh, box office. Uh, yeah, it does feel, as you say, like there's some films for. Oh, I don't want to say for grown-ups because Ratatouille is not for grown-ups. It's bloody brilliant. But there's some films which are just not big. I, I, I would point to that that for children does not mean necessarily cannot be enjoyed by grown-ups and really shouldn't. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, Pixar are phenomenally good at that. Um, Ratatouille's Pixar, isn't it? I think mm-hmm. it's hard to tell now because they're Pixar. It's post-purchase Pixar, but yeah. Oh, is it? Okay, that, that's where I find it hard. Uh, it's a Disney movie without songs in it, so it's basically what it is. <laughs> it is now. Um, but yes, it's a good. One. <clears throat> well, there we are. That is the end of our "There Will Be Blood" podcast. Um, Though yeah. not of that theme, I think we'll be going on to more blood. Oh, there's definitely more blood coming out, but for the minute all that remains to say is Drain you boy! <laughs>